0: Well, Thursday night was indeed a rotten one for the Conservatives. They lost about 25% of the seats that they held and of course London you know, look at all those boroughs Wandsworth, Westminster um, and and Labour now, right across the capital, yes you will hear of course that in the Red Wall it didn't go too badly and it's certainly true that Keir Starmer's leadership of the Labour Party is not exactly inspiring but look at the growth of the Liberal Democrats, look at the growth too of the Greens and you can see in Wales, in Scotland in many parts of London and the rest of England, you can see that on the current performance, the Conservatives would probably lose 100 seats at the next general election. But they've been lucky because there's another political news story that's rather overshadowed how they did on Thursday evening. Yep, it's Beergate. It's the Durham police investigating and Keir Starmer under a lot of pressure over the last couple of days. He cancelled a lunchtime event he was supposed to speak at, gave a press conference. And what he said is, if the Durham police give him a fixed penalty notice, he will resign. If it did come to that, that would then put massive pressure, I think, on Boris Johnson, especially as we're expecting several more fines to come his way. So I want to ask you. If Starmer resigns, should Boris go too? Farage at GBnews.uk. And obviously there's dramatic results in Northern Ireland. At least that's what the headlines will tell you. Ian Paisley, MP, will join me in a moment to talk about the splits in unionism. But joining me in the studio is Darren McCaffrey, our political editor. First things first, there's somebody much more important than Starmer and Boris Johnson. And that's Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth II. The state opening of Parliament tomorrow... She's not going to be there, is she?
1: Yeah, indeed, one of the landmark events, isn't it, of uh, the parliamentary calendar right across the river. Preparation's well underway for the State Opening of Parliament. Something the Queen, I think, has only missed twice, and that's when she was both pregnant many, many, many years ago. But she will not be there mm. uh, tomorrow because of mobility issues. Buckingham Palace issuing a statement in the last hour or so, actually, saying that she's continuing to experience episodic mobility problems and having spoken to doctors earlier on today that she... Or herself personally regrets that she cannot attend instead standing it in will be Prince Charles yeah. Prince of Wales and also the Duke of Cambridge Prince William will be there as well and it is a sense now that you know she has withdrawn quite a lot hasn't she from public life yeah. the mobility issues and she remarked upon this You remember a couple of months ago about her movement is not very good and and frankly and very sadly we're going to see less and less of the Queen I fear in the months to come.
0: I'm afraid that's right Darren. Now on to politics, on to lesser mortals. Um, It was a rotten night for the Conservatives as I've just said uh, but it wasn't a great night for Keir Starmer. I think perhaps Ed Davey had more to celebrate mm, in, many, in, in many, many ways. Um, also, I noticed the Liberal Democrats doing quite well in some leave voting areas as well, which I, I just... I couldn't. Well, you, <laughs> you're going to one of them later on this week in Hull. We're going to be in Hull. Yeah, we're going to be in Hull on Thursday night, Farage at Large. I can't believe that Hull is now a Lib Dem-controlled council. And by the way, we've got a few tickets left, a handful of tickets left. If you want to come and join the live performance in Hull this Thursday, go to the GB News website, do it quickly. They'll soon go. Um, yeah, I, I mean, Darren. But Starmer's other problems with Beergate. Now, every single excuse, every single story that Starmer put out there appears to have been just torn to pieces by the Daily Mail, the Mail on Sunday, and others. And. A strange event today, wasn't it? A press well, conference extraordinary. with only three journalists allowed in the room.
1: Yeah, I mean, very strange in, in all, but in the end, I think Keir Starmer had boxed himself into a corner. He had no choice today but to say what he did, which is, i.e., as you said, yeah. that he will resign if he gets a fine. That is because he is a former director of public prosecutions, because he has very deliberately said he's a man of honour, in comparison, he would argue with the current Prime Minister and a man of principle, which he repeatedly again said today. Mm. But more than that, he is someone who has called on the Prime Minister to resign while having received again a fixed again. notice. So it is not a surprise that he has had to make this decision. My word is a gamble, though. Mm. When you look at what Rishi Sunak... Did. He was sat in a room at a meeting that happened to be a birthday party that he knew nothing about and he could find, because he happened to be there, a reminder the rules are not necessarily black and white. They can be interpreted. But I think Keir Starmer has also done this because he thinks, and I genuinely believe he does think this, that he's not broken any rules, but now this is entirely out well, of
0: But he also thinks that Boris Johnson's got more fines coming, doesn't well,
1: he? Well, that is also true, and you're also entirely right uh, that Labour have not necessarily been terribly upfront about all of this. Was mm. Angela Rayner there? No, she wasn't. Then Labour had said, mm. yes, she was. Was it a fixed schedule event? Well, it now seems like it was. Does it fall within the rules? That's going to have to, put to be Durham Police. I think the genuine criticism of Keir Starmer today is about the undue pressure he may well have put on Durham Constabulary, one of the smallest police forces in the country, that they are now not just going to make a decision about a fixed penalty notice, but they are frankly about to decide who the leader of the opposition is, who potentially could have been a future Prime Minister. And maybe who the Prime Minister is, because, yeah,
0: it, it, because the pressure then on Johnson, if more fines come, would be huge.
1: Well, so, so I, yeah, and I think, so this is a big gamble for Keir Starmer. It might backfire. It might work all, all, all right. But also, Downing Street are looking at this as well. It is not a surprise that the Conservative Party were telling their ministers and MPs today not to call for Keir Starmer to resign. (laughs) Not to call for him to resign, because they know what they do not want is this all to backlash back on them, if, a
0: big if, the Prime Minister could find again. Absolutely. Darren, thank you very much. Well, let's go to Brighton-Kemptown and let's join Lloyd Russell-Moyle, a Labour MP. Um, Good evening. Lloyd, have you got me?
2: I've got you. Can you hear me, Nigel?
0: Yes, I can. Um, This is very much a case, isn't it, with uh, your leader of the biter bit. You know, the man, Keir Starmer, that stood up in Parliament as the modern moral arbiter for what should and should not be acceptable behaviour. It it really isn't looking so clever now, is it?
2: Well, no, I think that so far he has acted extremely honourably. He says he thinks he's done the right thing. He was having a works uh, dinner. Many of us will do dinner o- uh, work over dinner. We eat and we talk. And a lot of our job is about talking, isn't it? And negotiating with people and preparing things with people. And you can do that over food late at night. If he has broken the rules, you say he'll resign. So does Angela Ray now. Um, uh, they'll resign their front bench positions. I think your initial intro was quite right. This puts intolerable pressure on Boris Johnson if he gets more fines does it not because you have the leader of the opposition putting his own job on the line willing to do that because he's honorable will the prime minister follow suit i don't think so
0: well all i would say to that though lloyd is he hasn't said he'll resign if he's found to have broken the rules he said he'll resign if he gets a fixed penalty notice. And this, of course, is the same police force that didn't issue a fixed penalty notice to Dominic Cummings. But you have to say that right through this, over the last week or two, with Angela Rayner, the Labour Party, saying she wasn't there, then she was there, um, I mean, frankly, frankly, Keir Starmer's been pretty evasive, hasn't he? Well, I don't
2: know. It, it came out the, the, the Dominic police were investigating it over the weekend... Uh, the first thing on Monday, back in work, and he uh, cancels his uh, day-to-day things to make a statement, to make it clear, to stop any questioning, and, uh, and, and second, questioning uh, about whether he would do the honourable thing or not. Now, I don't know how you prove that someone has broken the rules other than someone being fined or found guilty in a court after they have rejected a fine. I don't think there is any other mechanism of being found guilty. Now, we can all proposition that someone might have broken the law or not, but the legal process is you get a fine. So I think the only way of legally proving whether he's broken the rules is whether Durham Police issue that fine. Now, you can you can make wow. questions about Durham Police, and that is for the voters of Durham to decide who their PCC is next time, but I think the Durham Police will be knowing that scrutiny is on them, and they'll be doing the following the left of the law, won't they?
0: Well, Lloyd, thank you very much indeed for joining us. And Lloyd Rossamore, they're being very supportive of Keir Starmer, as you would expect. Let's see. I mean, if, uh, yeah, I mean, if the fixed penalty you notice know, comes for Starmer and Rayner, they could be gone. Boris could be gone. Goodness me, they could all be gone by Christmas. <laughs> now, the really big result, if you look at the newspapers, the headlines, and not just in Britain, but around the world, is that Sinn Féin topped the poll in Northern Ireland and inevitably there is talk about a border poll perhaps being held within the next five years. But you see folks, Sinn Féin actually didn't really increase their vote very much at all. In fact they went up by about 1% on the previous set of elections. The reason you've got these headlines, the reason we've got this debate is the Unionists are completely and utterly and totally and hopelessly split. Uh, And if we do finish up with a border poll and a result the unionists don't want, well, frankly, I think it would have been all their own fault. What a nice introduction, Ian Paisley. (laughs) Nice to see you again. (laughs) I mean, what an absolute horlicks, isn't it? You've got got the DUP. You're the dominant party these Mm -hmm. days in unionist politics. We've also, of course, got the Ulster Unionist Party. And then we've got the TUV. Um, and Jim Allister, who is a a charismatic... I served in the European Parliament with him, a charismatic figure. He gets 7.6% of the vote in Northern Ireland and one seat. If you lot can't sort this out, you know you may well be kissing goodbye to your place in the United Kingdom. Mm. Yes, look, I think this has to be the single
3: largest blowing of the whistle or wake-up call to unionists. We cannot afford to constantly keep going off on ego trips, having our own parties, having our own splits and saying it will be alright, we will keep transferring within the unionist family because it doesn't happen. The vote gets diluted and we slammy slice the same number of votes and don't increase or grow the unionist voting base and that is a huge problem for us. Your earlier point is absolutely crystal clear. Uh, in 1998, when the Assembly first came about, mm. if you combine all of the nationalist votes, 39.9% of the voting public voted for nationalists. And
0: that was Sinn Féin and the SDLP, and the SDLP which and, was then a very and strong And independent party.
3: nationalists, all of them, yeah. came out. So very, yeah. very strong base. Yeah. On Thursday, it was 39.4%. Yeah. So, it was, so in terms from 1998 to 2022, that's been zero growth, really, within that base. Whereas unionists, at the same time, have lost about nine percent of their support base, why have they done that? And you know, we've got to ha- ask those searching questions because I've absolutely no doubt out there this union is better for every single citizen in Northern Ireland when you consider we're part of the fifth largest economy in the world with practically zero unemployment in Northern Ireland across most of the constituencies we're a growing economy we have a national health service and a welfare state all of the things which the Republic of Ireland would give their left arm for and remember when they left the the, the United Kingdom a hundred years ago and we celebrate just over a hundred years ago they were the poorest region of the British Isles one hundred years later they remain the poorest region of the British Isles, whereas Northern Ireland has grown in strength. We can't give that up for our citizens.
0: I, I mean, Ian, it does seem to me if there was a border <laughs> poll within the next five years, actually the Unionist side would probably win. Probably, because, we can't afford You know how debilitating who? that was well, in Scotland. But here's, here's the point, you know, here's the point, that it could be deeply divisive. Yeah. Now, I've got, to, I've got Lord Frost coming in yeah. a bit later on this evening. I saw him in the green room. And, OK, right. <laughs> well, I hope you behave. I mean, clearly what Johnson told you and told everybody about what was going to happen with Northern Ireland with Brexit just wasn't true, was it? It wasn't true.
3: Um, And indeed, I I sat in uh, the Prime Minister's office behind the Speaker's chair and when he was trying to get people to support his withdrawal agreement and said, don't worry, it'll be all right in the night, Ian you support our agreement, we'll have to do this protocol, but we'll soon get over it. Yeah. And we pointed out to him, it's not that easy. You can't just do that. And that's why we opposed, ultimately, his, his proposal, uh, where he left 3% of the United Kingdom out of the Brexit deal, which had got him over the line and got him his Brexit deal in the first So instance. what happens now, Ian? Well, uh, 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 Lord Frost has said all of the right things whenever he was in that senior position. Mm-hmm. Boris Johnson, to be fair, in the government's white paper, says all the right things. The protocol doesn't work. It's damaging trade. It's damaging our economy. It's damaging political relations. Quite obviously, we've got to now fix it. So now it's beyond 60. Article 60. We're beyond that, Nigel. Okay, triggering on. Article 16 now. That, that was last year. It's white sock. That, that's forget about that. We need to now scrap the protocol, and move this beyond. Because Europe is so intransigent, they're not helping us at all, and they're going to make this problem worse. And we, I would say to Sinn Féin, if Sinn Féin want to have the first minister's role. If they want to show that. The really important thing is the symbolism of being in charge of Northern Ireland. Help us fix the protocol. Okay, so that you could, don't really so want the protocol that a So that could be a deal, Well, they potentially. Don't, Sinn Féin don't really want the protocol. They've told us that. Well, so why do they use it as a truncheon against
0: unions? So, is, so there's, is,
3: is there a possibility? There's always possibility in politics and we want to work for the best needs of the people of Northern
0: Ireland. Well, if you don't sort your own side out, Ian, you'll go on losing elections. Absolutely right. Is all I can right. say. Absolutely Thank right. Thank you for joining Thank me. Thank you, my friend. In a moment, we will talk about 7 million new registrations with NHS doctors from migrants since 2010. Can that figure really be true? Right. Welcome back. Now, your reactions, your reactions to this. If Starmer goes, should Boris go too? Michael says Starmer should stay. All Tories think that if he stays, it's a guarantee that Boris wins the next general election. Starmer is the worst opposition leader ever. And Corbyn (laughs) Is he? (laughs) No, I think he's a better leader than Jeremy Corbyn was. Angela says, if Starmer has to resign, then Boris certainly needs to. Carl says, the public put Boris into power, knowing his failings. They did not put Starmer in position. Well, that is true. That is true. Now, an extraordinary figure that I saw over the weekend that I simply couldn't believe, and it was that since 2010... 7 million migrants had registered with GPs in this country. And that excludes Scotland, so if you add Scotland in, the number would be even more. Now, the astonishing thing is that NHS Digital can't, despite all the billions we've spent on computer programs and systems within the NHS over the last 25 years, they can't tell us whether double counting is in these numbers. Out, Mehmet from Migration Watch, the chairman, joins me. I mean, seven million. It can't be that. This can't be right, can it?
4: Um, We may have undercounted. I'm not sure. Um, (laughs) But, yes, absolutely it's right. And and we've been pointing to it for some years now. Seven million individuals? Seven million individuals, immigrants, have actually registered... To, for GPs up and down the country yes
0: indeed. So, but there must be some double counting in this presumably if somebody moves to uh, Barnet uh, and then moves to Wolverhampton that might yeah, be a no, double. Absolutely
4: and it's inevitable that there will be double counting but when you're talking about seven million whatever double counting there is is going to be minimal frankly compared to the overall figure.
0: Do we have a clue how many people are actually in this country?
4: No, we haven't, actually. And, and uh, if you remember, when we were uh, involved in the um, EU settlement scheme, we were told that there would be three and a half, 3.7 million.
0: And it turned How out. How
4: many did it turn out to be? Over 6 yeah. million. Yeah. So, no, we don't know for sure. We used to rely on the census every 10 years to give us an indication yeah. as to what was really going on. Each time we found that the numbers were actually higher than the ONS had been, the Office of National Statistics had been telling us. And I'm I'm absolutely certain that the figures that we've heard already, if anything, are undercounting what is really going on.
0: And it's certainly worth talking about because access to GP services is something that is really exercising people all over the country. Is it any wonder we've got problems?
4: On on that point, Nigel, um, it's not just the numbers coming in to put the additional pressure on, but the government has also, their record is lamentable in the numbers that have been trained. Do you know that 28,700 applications went in for uh, medical studies for uh, youngsters who want to become doctors for 9,000 places. That's why there's a shortage. There are 1,343 doctors. Fewer doctors now than there were in 2017. Yeah, I saw that. I I know. I was,
0: and despite all the promises to ramp up numbers, no, it's. I mean, it's a problem at both ends of this. Quick thoughts on Rwanda. All sorts of briefings and counter briefings in the newspapers. Some suggestions that flights may begin before the end of this month. Others suggesting there are up to six legal cases pending. Where do you think we are?
4: Um, I think that we are where
0: anyone with any sense
4: would have expected us to be. To be honest. I think those who thought that Rwanda was the answer were, frankly, delusional. It's not the answer, but it's part of the answer. So long as the government is determined actually to make use of that route and start flying people to Rwanda, Mm. along with some of the other things that they said they were going to do, like holding on to people in uh, centres while their cases are being... Those who are not being flown to Rwanda. So long as they do that sort of thing, and, dare I say, we're serious with the French and the EU about them tackling the problem at their end, all these things, I'm afraid,
0: uh, hooey. Yeah, and we are now already at the 2020 number, roughly, aren't we? About 8,000 or so have come across the channel already.
4: Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. 7,743, to be precise, of those that we know about. And I'm sure that there are those that we don't yeah. know about as well. So by the weekend, it'll be 8,000, i.e. the whole number, the total that came in, in 2020.
0: 2020. And legal immigration. The government has, well, I talk about a points-based system, but they've opened the doors in a way to, to even larger numbers than perhaps were even coming in Tony Blair's time.
4: Uh, absolutely. And, and I think um, if they'd adopted your Point-based system, the way the Australian point-based system, then we would have had some hope. But in fact, all they did was uh, loosen, just weaken the whole system, and partly pressed by business that they would bring in the sort of um, lower skill, lower pay individuals that business is after, and that's what's happened. We heard eight hundred and ninety thousand coming in in twenty twenty one. Yeah,
0: eight 800- hundred
4: for long-term visas of one form or another, eight hundred and, and
0: student visas were part of that number, of course, it, weren't they? It,
4: they were, some 400,000 and yeah. 450,000. But then how many of their students are actually going to be here for four or five years? How many of them are actually never going to leave anyway? And And that's the problem. That's why students are hugely important, because not only they contribute to our needs because they are human beings, they need a home, they see the doctor, they drive around, even students. Of course, there's huge pressure coming from students as well. And I don't know how many, what percentage never leave for what, what good reasons, I'm mm. sure. But the fact is that as that number goes up, long-term migration also goes up.
0: Have we taken back control in post-Brexit Britain of our borders and our immigration system? Have we...
4: No, we haven't taken control. But not only that, but the Prime Minister promised us that he would reduce immigration, that the point space system, he said, that we introduce will not only control, but it will reduce. It's had the opposite effect. That's scandalous.
0: Mehmet, thank you very much indeed for joining us here on GB News. Not that it was a particularly happy uh, story, but it's the truth, and that's what we're here to talk about. Now, I have to tell you, I'm so, so relieved that I'm no longer in the European Parliament. This morning, in the chamber in Strasbourg, we had the President of France, Macron, and France are currently holding the rotating presidency, introducing these dancers. Now, I mean, have a look. At these scenes. It is really quite extraordinary. Bodies moving in unison throughout Europe. I mean, look at it. And over the microphone, albeit in French, people were told, You have just arrived on the moon to look at the sun. On the other side, you look at the earth shining. Come back and face the sun. Well, I've got to tell you, folks, I could put up with Verhofstadt, I could put up with Juncker. I could put up with all of them. I would really, really, really have struggled this morning to get through that lot. There we are. I'm sure they all had an absolutely lovely day. Now, I want the Farage health warning. And this is about a man in a house in South West London in New Malden. Struggling for money, struggling for heating a few weeks ago, he decided on an open fire to burn a whole load of wood. It caught fire, the house caught fire, the London Fire Brigade came along and there was some pretty extensive damage. But the London Fire Brigade tell us they've been called to a hundred such incidents recently involving open fires, log burners and heaters. And whilst nearly all of those fires were put down, without any loss of human life, please, please, if you are going to have an open fire or a wood burner, please think about what you're doing. Well, back to our thoughts from earlier on. If Starmer goes, and by the way, I I think he's probably hedged his bets. I think he's reasoned that if Durham police did not give a fixed penalty notice to Dominic Cummings, they're pretty unlikely to give one to him, but you just don't know. He will also have heard the rumours that there are more fines coming Boris Johnson's way, and that's why he's put down this marker the way that he has. Your thoughts on it? One viewer says, what's Starmer got to do with Boris? It's really funny that Sir Keir's high horse has turned into a bit of a bucking bronco. Well, yes, I mean, he does look like, doesn't he? he do- Starmer looks like the most terrible hypocrite, having stood up there, moralised, lectured, he was the self-appointed guardian of the right sort of behavior during lockdown and the evasions and dishonesties that we've had from the Labour Party and from him over this don't make a very pretty picture. Another says, Boris Johnson gave us our freedom back when other world leaders were not. What exactly does everyone think would happen if he's forced to resign? Well, I suppose if Boris Johnson was forced to resign then the Conservative Party would have a leadership contest and they would have to decide whether they wanted someone to lead the party who actually was conservative and you know I've been saying for months and months on this program that the Conservative Party have been taken over by the Richmond Greens by which I mean the Goldsmiths and Carrie and they've got all out for their rewilding ideas and their global warming policies well How well has it worked in Richmond? Out of 39 seats in Richmond, the Conservatives are now down to one. Perhaps if they focused a bit more on self-sufficiency for energy supply, rather than meeting CO2 targets and exporting manufacturing jobs overseas, they might just have done a little bit better in the election. Gary says Starmer's brainwave... um, is a resigning offence, not Boris's. Well, I don't know. I don't know. I sense that if Starmer was to go, the pressure on Boris would be enormous. And another viewer says, both crimes are the equivalent to a parking ticket. The real issue is both the proven liars relating to this subject. So yes, they should both stand down. And that really is the issue, isn't it? It's not the offence itself either from the Conservatives or from the Labour Party, it's the total lack of honesty about it. You know, had either of them adopted the hands-up gov, you know, didn't we all do this at some point during lockdown? I guess we'd have said, well, yeah, actually, you know what? We broke the rules too. But they didn't do that, and they come out looking dishonest, shifty. And all in all, I have to say, I think British politics is in a pretty poor place right now. Now, in a moment, it's going to be Talking Pines. I'll be joined by Lord David Frost, former cabinet minister, and of course, the man who negotiated Britain's Brexit deal. And we'll begin by asking him, what should we do about Northern Ireland? It's that time of the day. Yes, it really is. It's time for talking pints, and I'm joined in the studio tonight by Lord David Frost. Welcome to the programme. Cheers. Thanks for having me. You're a an East Midlands lad, but a bit conflicted between Derby and Nottingham. How does that work? Uh, yeah, you're right. I went to school in Nottingham,
5: but I'm really from Derby. And <laughs> Derby County, who have not had a great season, as <laughs> to be said, for reasons beyond their control, uh, that's, that's, where, that's where I still feel I
0: belong. Yeah, and of course, I mean, your career, you know, it's classic stuff, isn't it? It's Oxford... It's the Foreign Office, you know, you are one of these pillars of the Remain establishment, I suppose, at least by background and by inclination. Now, you worked in Brussels and you worked in New York and all over the world. I know from my time in the European Parliament, You know, whenever I met Foreign Office officials, whether it was formally or perhaps informally, I mean, they were the biggest enthusiasts for the European project. <laughs> I mean, they weren't neutral civil servants. They were, they, they, they were actively part of building hmm. this new European structure. I mean, I'm assuming when you went in there, that's how you felt as well.
5: Yeah, I mean, I went in, when was it, early 90s, and uh, I hadn't thought, massively uh, much about it at that point. I guess I had, as you say, standard Foreign Office opinions. And
0: it was a a settled political issue, wasn't it? It was. Membership
5: membership certainly was. We were just getting into the the Maastricht row uh, and all of that at that point. Um, But the longer I spent in Brussels, the the more I thought, this is not for us. This is uh, an organisation that is going somewhere that this country doesn't want to go. Uh, the processes, the way it works, are not right. They're overriding national democracies. And the longer I spent there, the, um, uh, the more I felt that. So. Could you tell any of your work colleagues? or Was, <laughs> it,
0: was this a guilty
5: secret? So I think... I, I, a few, I think, came to suspect what I thought, especially during the <laughs> suspect, uh, the, I like the, 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 the constitutional treaty referendums in, in two thousand and five. I, I think, you know, there were a few kind of closet sympathisers as well, who obviously I'm not going to, to name, but but not everybody was. Oh, identical. <laughs> central casting, but um, yeah, you're right. Overwhelmingly, but but the foreign <laughs> office is not particularly unusual in that, obviously, in the British establishment.
0: I was going to say, couldn't we look at every Whitehall department and find much that same thinking? And even today, you know, all these years on from the referendum, there's still, I sense within the British Civil Service, a deep sense of regret about what we've done. I think, I think it's still there. It's
5: definitely be weakened, I would say, since, since 2016. People have got used to the idea. I think what people are finding hard now in government, in the civil service, is suddenly being in charge. When we are in the EU, you didn't have to think. Because they, made, just, they yes, made the decision, and exactly, they told exactly. us what to do. Now, all of a sudden, our destiny is in our own hands, and uh, we're hesitating a little bit, and that's, that's probably underlying some of the problems we've got at the
0: moment. I suspect that's probably true. Now, it's unusual for somebody who's been in the Foreign Office, albeit you were thrown into the spotlight, obviously, with this...
5: Mm.
0: Well, firstly working with Boris, but then, you know, with with this Brexit role. How did you find Michel Barnier? I, I liked Michel,
5: actually. I mean, he was a different generation, different style to me. He was a very nice person, actually, very uh, pleasant, easy to deal with. I'm not sure he ever regarded me as, as some quite an equal.
0: Uh, to oh, him, he's very but superior, but isn't he? Yeah. <laughs> a,
5: nice, a very nice guy. And actually, you know, in, a, in an odd sort of way, we, we hit it off OK during the talks and managed to get things done.
0: He didn't really understand it at all, did he? he? I mean, I remember having conversations with him, formally in his office and in the coffee room, and he couldn't get his head around the fact that we voted Brexit. He didn't understand it for a moment. But when you came into that job, you know, we were in a right pickle, weren't we? Yeah. Well, I mean, we really were. We'd had predecessors, Ollie Robbins, etc., cetera, um, and we finished up with Mrs May, you know, in a terrible place, it seemed to me. Um, and thank goodness that deal went, and we got something. Well, I guess it was a bit better, but it's not really a great deal, is it?
5: So, I, I, I mean, you said it. We wouldn't have started from here no. uh, to 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 get to it. We had to deal with no, I, the consequences. I do acknowledge. I do acknowledge, of, yeah.
0: I do acknowledge yeah. that you inherited a very bad hand of cards, mm. and I get that, and I understand that, and this couldn't go on forever, and I understand that, but I have to ask you, mm. you know, Northern Ireland, you know, I mean, because Boris Johnson just didn't tell people the truth about this, did he? So we'd like to have done better, we'd
5: like, well obviously well, that's we would have mistake, it, we'd like it? to have, we would like <laughs> to have had, uh, customs arrangements that avoided some of the problems we've we've got into subsequently obviously would we would unfor- unfortunately we had Messrs um, Ben and Bert and the surrender acts and the removal of the the no deal option. Uh, in that time and in the end... And that weakened your hand? That massively weakened the hand. You could see it it immediately. They knew that although we we tried to, with a little bit of smoke and mirrors, suggest there might still be an option, they knew there wasn't, we knew there wasn't. In the end we had to do the best we could and we at least got rid of the backstop. If we hadn't done that we would Mm. still be negotiating to leave the EU customs union now and we gave ourselves freedom for the future and the future negotiations that we, we delivered on, I think. All right, so what do we do in Northern Ireland now? So We've got to do something. We do, I think... It was a deal that could have worked with delicate handling on both sides, sensitivity to the need for cross-community consent in Northern Ireland. That was always going to require a degree of sensitivity on the EU side that that, that that
0: hasn't been there. But they've been in bed with Sinn Féin all the way through this process. I think the...
5: uh, much of the EU doesn't understand the niceties and the details and the history of the issues in, in Northern Ireland and in the end I think they prioritise protecting their own single market over the Belfast Good Friday boof, Agreement and that, that is the problem. I think you know, whatever the rights and wrongs of how we got here, um, the protocol has to change or disappear. I think there's now no option, much better to do it by negotiation if the EU will do it, though but, but, if we read they, in the paper they've just said that they never will change their negotiating mandate and negotiate
0: with us about it, so well, I Macron, think we're left with no I mean, other Macron, choice. Macron not only has he just you know, won the French presidency again, hmm. but he's also got the rotating presidency of the European Union, Merkel's gone, He's the dominant figure within the place. I mean, they're not going to give us an inch, are they? I, I think it's very
5: unlikely now that they're going to engage in a natural negotiation. So we're going to have to act, I think. I don't think there's any choice left to us, whether it's this famous Article 16 or an override. I think there's no other option to protect the Belfast Good Friday Agreement and the integrity of the, the country. I think you know, the, the government is responsible for the governance of Northern Ireland and in the end, it's got to accept that.
0: Do, does this government have the courage to do it? So I think
5: yes, I think yes, I hope yes, Um, it will, there'll obviously be opposition, I guess some opposition in the Commons, probably a bit more in the Lords to to legislation. I think they'll be able to take on the the international opposition if there is much, Mm. and obviously the dynamics internationally have changed hugely since uh, last year. I I think it can be done, and I think it has to be done, and if we explain it right, then there's no reason why we shouldn't.
0: Yeah, I mean, at the moment, literally a part of our country has been cut off from us, effectively. Yeah. A border down the Irish Sea. border down the Irish Sea, and
5: rules for that part of this country set somewhere else. Mm. And there's no way you can sustain that over an extended period. You just can't.
0: Now, the front page of today's Times, big optimistic headline about the Queen's speech tomorrow, which, sadly, the Queen won't be yeah. there for, which is very sad, is. Um, very sad. But big optimistic headlines that we're going to hear, mass reform of EU rules and regulations and all the things that I dreamt of for over a quarter of a century, having come into politics from business. Why hasn't any of this been done before? So I suppose we
5: had Covid, that, that no, was I a know reasonable distraction I, yeah, I, I know think, that. For, for a bit of time. I, I do think that you know, we, we, we haven't um, pushed on as quickly as we, we ought to have. That's, that's is that, is that
0: a lack of vision?
5: Is it a lack of will? What, why? I think leaving the EU for, for many was such an effort that we've kind of, uh, particularly with Covid coming straight after, there's been mm. a temptation just to kind of say, thank goodness that's done, and sort of sit back in the armchair and Is that because carry the Conservative on. Party
0: doesn't really believe in Brexit still?
5: I think I think it does. I believe it does. Mm. Um, but I don't know whether everybody has yet clocked that there's going to have to be a massive change afterwards. Brexit's just a, a door you've got to go through to make lots of things possible in terms of changing this country. It, it isn't a thing in itself, and I think too many no, people no, thought no, it was a, no, a yeah. thing in itself.
0: Yeah, yeah, no, no, no. no. I, I, you know, I was always honest about this. Brexit doesn't solve our problems, no. but it gives us the ability to deal with things. What I find really interesting you know, since your resignation from the Cabinet and where you talked about us us having to learn to live with Covid, but you've written quite extensively since then. Mm. I mean, gosh, you must be very lonely. I was thinking to myself this morning, I mean, you believe in small states, you believe in low taxes, you believe in encouraging entrepreneurship, you believe optimistically that we can turn ourselves around and have a, a sort of Brexit Britain renaissance. I mean, I have to put it to you. You sound like a conservative. <laughs> Must be very difficult in this party today, mustn't it? I mean, they're all, so, but they're all social democrats, aren't they? No, I think there's been a, a kind of climate of opinion
5: that's pulled people along in, in recent years. I think most of the party still, in its heart, believes in low taxes and obviously believes in this country and wants to make it great. Deliver on the the promise of Brexit, but we that does require some difficult decisions, and I don't think. You know, we, The government's got to be honest with people and say some of this is going to be difficult, some of it's going to be hard, but it's going to be worth it because we're going to make the country better. And if you don't say that, you inevitably drift along in the flow and you become social democratic. And at some point
0: you've got to draw a line. But I mean, we've become that if you look at climate policy, if you look at the fact we import 50% of our gas, We export manufacturing jobs, whether it's in chemicals or aluminium production or whatever it is. I mean, they've gone very social democrat, haven't they? So the priority for the government of this country ought to be increasing
5: the productive capacity of this this country and the wealth of people in this country. If we can pursue net zero and do those things then okay, but the priority ought to be boosting industry, boosting prote- um, productivity, b- making our own supplies of, of energy effective, that should be the first so you So
0: you would, would you, I mean I've been pushing hard and arguing that we should be self-sufficient, in energy. Well,
5: we should get as, as close as we can. I, I mean, it may not ever be possible or possible in the, the near future. But obviously, we should be taking up fracking again. Obviously, we should be investing in the, the North Sea. Obviously, we should be doing nuclear. But it, it's no good giving half-hearted signals. Companies are not going to invest in the North Sea if they think the government might change its mind again in a year's time. Similarly, on fracking,
0: you've yep. got to believe it Or introduce it. super taxes or, 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 any, or of, any, any, of any of
5: these things. things. A yeah. lot of it is about clear signals, and, you know, clear signals on taxation, clear signals on energy policy, so people can know what's coming and change their
0: own behaviour accordingly. Are you the sort of modern-day Keith Joseph? I mean, are you the man trying to get the Conservative Party to move from where it is into being low tax? And and, and, and if you are, if you are, well, that's great, because someone needs to make those arguments out there, and you are beginning to make those arguments more loudly. But I'm struck that to really have an effect on these things, the House of Lords is a bit of a backwater. And you could just, why not just renounce the title and put your name forward for the by-election in Devon? so i don't think the
5: Lords is a particularly brilliant place to do kind of <laughs> real politics yeah. from um uh I think you know you you need to be in the commons to do real politics that's 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 obvious i mean i've only just left. Government obviously. Um, I'm contributing by ideas and by writing. Yeah. But, but yeah, I'll be honest. Uh, I, I don't think it's right this time round for all kinds of reasons. But if in the future the opportunity comes up and the party wants me to do it, then obviously I would uh, be ready to uh, stand down from the seat and do proper politics again. He's about fifty to one at Labrooks at the
0: moment, but yeah. <laughs> That's for a different which, is, job. which is a better price? A <laughs> well, yes, but I mean. Inevitably, if you if you were to finish up in politics in that way, the, the fact you were setting out a clear, and some can agree and some can disagree violently with it, but you are setting out a clear intellectual vision for the Conservative Party. But I, I teased you earlier about, about about Keith Joseph, but I mean, yours is a broadly Thatcherite view of where we need to go.
5: Yeah, I think it is, except that we have to remember that Thatcher was not only about free markets. Thatcher was about the country. She was about standing up for aspiration and people who wanted to get on in life and improve themselves and help their families and make the country better. And you have to do all of those things. It isn't just about free markets and devil take the hindmost. most. It's about bringing everyone together. And I, I think actually Boris Johnson is capable of doing that and would be, would be good at it, we just need to push on and uh,
0: make it a reality. Do you think he'll lead the Tories in, into the next general election? I do, actually, yeah. Well, we will see. Grammar schools. Where do you stand on grammar schools? Bit of a, bit of a debate opened up last week on that again.
5: Yeah, I, I think... I mean, I, I'm in favour of academic excellence. I think excellence in everything is is important if we're going to succeed as a country. I think the problem with the old grammar school system was that it was a once and for all sift, and if you just didn't happen to make it at 11, you were irrevocably kind of left in the secondary modern route, and that, that obviously doesn't make sense. But we need a system, we need an educational system that supports the brightest to do the very best they can Mm. and supports people who want to do other things to do the very best they can. And we've never quite got that parity of esteem in this country, but we should. No,
0: and we lack esteem also for trades and skills. Yes. I'm just astonished by it. You know, um, Tony Blair two weeks ago advocating 70% go to university and do more and more social sciences or whatever it is. And I speak to people in engineering. They have to bring in foreign labour. Yeah. I mean, all of that stuff is absolutely crazy, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. You've got to let the market work. I think, you know, if if,
5: if, if, if the expectation is people go to university and do a, a, a pointlessly irrelevant degree, then they won't be able to get a job and in the end the incentives will, will work. And, you know, we're seeing people going into trades because they don't build up debt and uh, they can do a great job,
0: so that's good. Well, I have to say, I'm going to watch your progress very, very carefully. <laughs> I really I am. Mean, thank, <laughs> thank you for joining me on Talking you. Minds. It's a pleasure. <laughs> thank, thank you. you. Right, let's get into Barrage the Farage. where you send in your questions and I do not cheat. Chris asks, you can speak one sentence to Putin, what do you say? You know, I I said last week, I thought Macron was right to be speaking to Putin, however ghastly his behaviour has been and that of his troops, we should always be trying to talk to people. Uh, And I would, if I had to speak to Putin, would say my first one sentence would be, what price peace? What do we have to do to achieve some kind of peace deal? But no-one seems to want to do it. Why did Frost and Johnson come up with the Northern Ireland Protocol, presenting it to the, e- presenting it to the EU, then signing it into UK law, and now they're saying it's unfair? <laughs> I,
5: I, I need <laughs> half an hour to answer the question, really, because it was the way of delivering Brexit, ending the logjam, getting Brexit done, getting politics back to normal.
0: Yeah, it was far from perfect, as Lord Frost does freely admit. Which of the GB News female presenters would you do Strictly with? Oh, all of them, and the news readers too. No question about that. Absolutely not at all. John asks, how would you describe yourself ideologically? I'm going to ask Frost that question. <laughs> um, a, a, a mix of...
5: Um I'm a Thatcherite a bit, but also I I believe in the country. I think this country can succeed. So it's not just about free markets. It's about making this country successful.
0: Yeah, and I'm with that totally. And, you know, I believe in Britain. I believe in its people. Yes, we've got our problems. Yes, we've got our faults, but we can have a really great future. I'm certain of that. Um, And we need to. And finally, what do you prefer pizza or pasta, I mean, with these questions, what would you go for, tackle? <laughs> <laughs> um, um, um,
5: uh, pizza, because yeah, there, there are more variations, you can get more things on there pizza. We there we are,
0: he's a pizza man. I like steak and chips. I don't want either pizza or pasta, I've got to tell you. Right, we're done for today. We're back tomorrow with the Queen's speech. We'll see what kind of regulatory reform to EU law is going to be contained within that package, be delivered by Prince Charles, not the Queen. Back with you tomorrow at seven.